This presentation is from Design Research 2018, held in Melbourne. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au. All right. Ready to go. No, I'm going to introduce you. I'm actually going to introduce you. Um, I, I get <laughs> the pleasure job, right? I, in my, my day job at Meld Studios, I get the pleasure of working with fabulous women like Nova um, every day. Uh, I don't think we're unusual in the design space, but two-thirds of our company are women. Um, and so I'm, I'm surrounded by these sorts of wonderful people. So I'm going to sit at the back and just enjoy the fact and be proud of the fact that my co-worker's up here presenting her stuff. Thanks so much, Steve. That said, please join me in welcoming Nova Franklin to the stage. Okay. We've heard some great stuff this morning. The best way to learn is to have your learning reinforced. So um, I'm going to... Part of what I'm going to talk about today steals from some of the great things other people have said. So we're going to play a game. When you hear me saying something you've already heard today that you think is cool, put your hand up. Yeah? It's going to keep you on the ball. It's going to keep you... Make lunch feel like it's just in another five minutes. Um, it's very cool. So I'll give you some clues. A and Z talked about, uh, talked about time to recruit people. Hendrik talked about poker face. And Ruben talked about just a whole lot of stuff that I'm about to cover. So to keep it um, interesting for you, hands up when you hear something that you've already heard or that you think is cool. That's me. Um, I became a registered psychologist in about 19... Oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Are you here, pocket person? Hello. <laughs> Isn't that nice? Can, um, can everyone else not do that? Well, we, uh, it's a little bit distracting. Anyway, psychologist, 1994. And since then, I've worked in really big, big, big organisations, um, global organisations, some Australian organisations. And what I do is I come in and I talk to people and I figure out what the messy stuff is that's making people sad and I help the organisation to do something about that. Um, right now, I call that design. Um, years ago, I called it change management. Once I called it culture change. But, you know, the labels change. The methods evolve which is kind of cool. Anyway, um, right now I work at MELD, and that's, that's a beautiful thing. I've been there for about four years. And today we're going to talk about some of the work um, and the lessons that I've worked some, uh, the lessons I've learned from some of the work we've done with communities that are facing social exclusion. So what does that even mean? I tried to explain this to my parents last night. I'm not sure they got it, but I think you're going to get it. So um, it means... People who don't have fair access to services, if you think about healthcare, if you think about education, if you think about employment and you think about somebody who needs help when they get in trouble from a justice point of view, these are people who don't get that fair go. Um, they're people who are at the margins of our society and therefore they may be overlooked. Um, and Often they have different needs from people in the mainstream. So I'm just kind of setting the scene here. Some of the projects I've been working on are with at-risk youth who are neither at school nor at work. They're very young. Sometimes they're couch surfing. Often their address is the local post office. Um, people who interact with the criminal justice system. I'll try and move my mouse. Ooh, look at that. Um, people with disabilities who very sadly end up in aged care facilities because nobody else can look after them, and children who rely on ankle braces to walk. So that was the first picture that you saw. 
So I'm going to draw on some of my experience in these um, settings to talk about, you know, how do we um, how do we get in front of the right people, build and maintain trust and respect. Just see a hand there because Ruben talked a lot about that. Come on, play the game, um, and tailoring your approach to those you interact with. Okay, so let's talk about getting in front of the right people. There are some challenges here. Um, there are a lot less of these people at the margins. Um, that's why they're at the margins. So, you know, like, where are they? How can I find them? That's tricky. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Um, the other thing is clue. <laughs> it takes a very long time often to find these people and recruit them. And, um, you know, when I create a project plan, uh, what it looks like is kickoff meeting, four weeks start research and when I don't do that my research nearly hello my research nearly always gets delayed and the project gets put back so you know there are things I can do in the four weeks and um, get ready to put your hand up one of the things is I can just figure out what exists in this space already because what a crazy thing to start from scratch I don't want to do that so I'm going to read up on a whole lot of stuff um, the second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go out and I'm going to talk to people who know this space well already and I'm going to ask them a whole lot of questions. Um, we'll talk about that towards the end of the talk. Um, what else am I going to do? I'm going to plan my research. What am I going to go out and do? And what else am I going to do? Not anything on this project because I don't want to burn up that time that I could use meaningfully later on. So I'm going to work on something else during that four weeks. And that, that's one of my best tips, I reckon. Um, what else? Some people drop out along the way. So you might... Um, we were working with young people. As I said, they don't have anywhere to live. Um, they don't always turn up on time. I don't know why. Um, sometimes they don't turn up at all. Sometimes they turn up, they just don't want to say anything. Teenagers, I live with one. I'm about to live with a second one. It's very scary. Um, but because of that, you probably want to make sure that you um, recruit some extra people at the start, knowing that some people are just going to basically not deliver for you. Um, finding research participants... I, my best tip here is to get help from people who have established networks. So often I am a consultant, so often I'm in an organisation um, and there's a project manager. That person's like my best buddy because if they don't get help me get the people, they look really bad. So um, that's very helpful. Um, they help connect me to internal stakeholders. So when we did some work in Justice recently, um, our beautiful internal stakeholders helped connect us with um, Commissioner Severin, who runs Corrective Services, who connected us with some other people, and Legal Aid, and they connected us up. So really helpful there. Um, the other thing is uh, there are people providing services who can help you. So with the young people, Mission Australia and a whole lot of other people run a service for those young people called the Transition to Work Service. We actually got them to recruit for us, and that was, that was a beautiful thing. Um, if you don't have any of those links, but you can manage to find a couple of people, you can ask them. But imagine asking everybody, who do you know? That's going to take even longer than four weeks, but you know, potentially it's a way to go. Um, advocacy groups, I haven't done much of that, but I reckon talk to Ruben and where's... Tanya from the ABS. Are you here? She's over there. She could, like, do this talk so well. Um, Australian Bureau of Statistics, so you can imagine that they need to know about all sorts of people in Australia. So chat to Tanya later on. Um, her, one of her tips is she goes and gets a hint of where people might be 
and she puts up notices to um, recruit. So, hey, uh, we're looking for people like this and this is the incentive, we're going to pay you and give us a call and people turn up. It's a pretty cool tip. Um, you can also consider using uh, specialist recruiters. We do use them. Um, I prefer to go down this route first. Uh, recruiters, often when you call them, you're like, oh, I'm looking for the person who... They're like, hmm... I don't think I have anyone like that on my books, but I can do a pilot test for you and it's going to cost you X dollars and then I'll tell you if I can get these people. That's pretty helpful. Um, I line them up right at the beginning thinking that I might need them later on and they know that sometimes I can use them and sometimes I can't and that's, that's sweet. They're used to that. So get, get in front of them pretty early. Um, if you're struggling with recruitment, um, if it's taking longer than expected and you're just running out of time for your project... You could do telephone interviews. I find telephone interviews with mainstream is really cool. You don't lose much insight. Other people will argue with me, um, which is fine. I'm good with that. Uh, but when you're interviewing somebody who is from a different population, it helps to see the expression on their face. It helps to be able to put some things in front of them that they can play with. It helps to see how they turn up. Do they turn up late? What are they wearing? Have they managed to have a shower? You know, what have they got with them? If, if you go and visit them, are they sleeping on somebody's couch? Um, you know, is there a lot of noise in that place? So that all helps you understand what's going on. So you're going to lose some of that, but it is something you can do. I love this little picture here. It's my bad drawing. Um, if you're finding that recruitment's just taking ages and um, the days are just ticking away and you just can't you feel like you're not, you know, there's just so many people you can see in a day. One of the things one of my colleagues did is they drew up these number of people they were going to research and there was a lot more than that. Um, and then they had it on the project board that was everyone could see on the project and they just started crossing people off. So you can see there's some little crosses there. And um, very soon the person responsible for that project found them some people to interview, so that was a good outcome. Um, Building and maintaining trust and respect. Here are some tips. Um, there are words that stigmatise and alienate. If I call you vulnerable, what am I saying about you? Maybe you don't feel vulnerable. Maybe you're not mainstream, but maybe you're not vulnerable. Um, if I call you a patient in a, in a medical sense, am I then stigmatising you with something that you may have you may think you have for the rest of your life. Maybe you're feeling really down, but maybe you're not depressed. Maybe you're not a patient. Um, if I call you an offender, I've pretty much assumed you've just done that crime. It's a bit of a problem. Um, you know, you may just be on remand. You, 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 know, you may be innocent. Um, I'm always trying to be really upfront about the research. So I talk, and you would do this in normal research anyway, but here's what we're going to do. Here's the impact it could have. And you know what? it may not have an impact. But what I can tell you is that what you say will be gathered together with what other people say and the themes from that, the sentiment from that, will be heard. So I can tell you that it will be heard. I can't tell you that anyone will act on it and I'm pretty comfortable with saying that. I think that's just fair. Um, you can pay incentives if appropriate. It does help get people to turn up. Um, but you can't for some people. So maybe you give them... Um, a card that allows them to buy food from the supermarket. Um, if somebody's in jail, you can't give them anything. So just be really kind and nice to them and acknowledge the help that they've given you. Um, let people know that you're, you're not there to advise them. You're really there to listen. 
Um, I'm not a financial advisor, I've said to people. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a health specialist. Um, I'm really just here to listen and understand. Be upfront with that. Um, be clear that you don't have the answers and you're there to listen and learn. So, um, did I have a story on that one? But because I'm not using notes, it's clear out of my mind. <laughs> anyway, uh, just be open and honest about that one. Um, be, <laughs> be empathetic and caring and really thank them for their stories. I did an interview, one of the saddest interviews I've ever done with this individual who um, got sent to jail. Um, he'd witnessed something really traumatic and um, anyway, he was sent to jail and while he was in jail, um, something to do with a traumatic event happened and he was, um, he was really suffering and at the same time someone broke into his house but he was in jail, so he couldn't do anything about the fact that these people had broken into his house. And then um, the person who was leasing him the house sued him, but because he was in jail, he couldn't get anyone to represent him. Um, and it was just this horrible story where you know things just kept cascading, cascading. And you know, when someone tells you something like that, all you can do is be very real with them. And um, as they tell you the things, you, you can say things like oh my goodness, that's just terrible and I'm so sorry to hear it. Um, we ended up that interview by thanking him, really thanking him for his stories and explaining how they would be used. And you know what? He thanked us for listening to him and he actually felt that you know, there weren't many people in his life he could tell his story to. So we are also doing a service and I think that was kind of a beautiful thing. Um, the other thing you want to do, and this is the, let's see some hands here, um, take what you hear in your stride. So <laughs> I was once interviewing a girl and she was telling me what it was like to be driven in the back of a van for three days, stopping at certain places along the way to stay over, but the back of a van to go between where she was held in remand and, um, and the court that she was going to. And she said, it's so cold in that van. When I sneezed, I saw my sneeze freeze and then I saw it shatter and hit the ground. I was like, that's cold. <laughs> that's real cold. Um, I had another time where um, I was waiting in another prison. I love working in prisons, fascinating. Um, and this guy who was head of security for the prison turned up and he was like sweaty. He, he was like, I'm really sorry I'm late. We had prisoners in this part of the prison moving and prisoners in this part of the prison moving and they had to walk past each other and a guy got a pencil and <laughs> in the cheek of one of the other people. I was like, I can see why you're sweating. Let's do, how about we talk a bit about that for a minute? So, um, yeah. All right, the last thing I'm going to talk about is tailing your approach to suit your audience. So, sometimes the people you're going to speak to may not process information in the way that you do or in the way that people around you are used to processing it. Um, if you're talking to kids who left school early, they probably don't want to do much reading and writing. They may not be able to at all. Um, so tailor your approach for that. We found these amazing cards called WTF, what's the feeling? Um, you can see one there, but 
putting that in front of somebody and, you know, you might have already had a chat with them for 20 minutes or so, but putting that in front of them going, pick some cards. There's a whole card deck. There's like 52. Pick some cards that tell me what you, you know, the three cards that most explain that journey and then, oh, you've picked exhausted. What does that mean to you? That's re- that really helps somebody rather than um, being super text-based because, you know, that's, that's too difficult for a lot of people. Um, you also want to find out what you should and think about what you should and shouldn't say, do and where. So um, when you're working with young people and they, they, na- they do something really well, you probably don't want to say they've nailed it because that means something else to them. When you <laughs> um, there are certain words that you shouldn't use, right? If you're going to jail, don't wear this if you're a woman or a man. I mean, you could if you're a man, but probably you wouldn't anyway. Um, but wear pants. Wear something that's modest. Um, and in terms of do, um, you know, if you're going to jail, I remember the very first time I went to jail, and there were, it was a male jail, 1,000-person male jail, and it was... Um, some pretty scary people there and as I walked in I said to the people I was with what what am I meant to do like what, what if they look at me and they went oh well just smile and nod like you would on the street I was like yes that's great because that's what I wanted to do but you know don't be afraid to ask you don't know everything you, how could you so you know ask hands Reuben um all right now your turn what questions do you have for me? What concerns do you have? What's resonated with you? Did I miss anything? Is it nearly lunchtime? Should I shut up and go and eat my lunch? This is Nova's way of asking if you have questions. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> thank you. So let's thank Nova first. I'm just translating. Does anyone have a question for Nova or a comment? Rowan? Um, can you talk about uh, figuring out when to bail from like uh, a conversation or an interview or an entire project and how you make that decision? Wow. Okay. Interview. <laughs> Let's start there. It's easier. Um, I am super reluctant to bail from an interview Um, I do this thing where I pay the incentive at the front, though, so that the person can choose to bail at any time. And I have had actually probably only one person midway through an interview just be like, eh, you know what, I really want a hamburger right now. I'm out of here. But I I tend to persist... um, I tend to persist and ask the question in different ways and try and engage them in different ways. From a project, if you can't recruit anyone, you can't run your project. Um, And that's the the biggest thing. I tend to put deadlines around recruiting. So we would really hope that you could get us half the people by this date, three quarters by this date. And if we don't have that by this date, um, you know, either we'll need to... uh, You know, we have an agreement where we'll need to charge you a bit while you put us on hold because we can't just magically not do work because we've, we've dedicated our people to you or, um, or we have to pull the plug. So, um, again, that's a tactic that um, I've never had to get anyone to pay me the extra money, but it's amazing how your project just starts to work after that. Incredible. Fantastic. Um, does that answer? Yeah. yeah. Anybody I'll, I'll tell you a story later as well. 
I'm just curious about the size of incentives you go with for vulnerable populations. Um, so in talking to Tanya yesterday, she was talking about $70 per hour. I think that's about on the money. Um, but sometimes you want to talk to people for longer. So, you know, you, you pay more for, for a longer amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. One last question. At the back. Just another question about incentives. Do you ever feel that the incentive biases the research? So I think that what you've got to do is you've got to make sure you screen the person well so that they aren't the person that's just turning up for the money. Um, and so, you know, be careful around the way you screen and who you're getting. Um, we t I was talking to, was it Emma from the ABC? Where are you, Emma? Yeah. <laughs> Were you talking about just getting the same people turning up for different projects? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you just get Sam every time who has a certain thing. So, um, you know, one of the things you might want to put in your screener is a little proviso around hasn't participated in research for this amount of time or, you know, something like that. It's probably not the best answer, but, yeah. Does anyone else want to elaborate on that answer? Can anyone else give a better answer? Hang on. At the back here. Yeah, I've had a few shockers with um, doing customer shopping research and that because you get the same people who like to do it over and over again. And um, the recruiter hated me for it, but I actually had to insist that this per the, these people had never participated in uh, user research and customer research around shopping in the last six months, um, which they really disliked because it made their job really, really hard. But I actually just had to give them really, really strict protocols around the exact people we were looking for and the parameters that I thought were going to bias the research. So just really clearly thinking through. My assumption was the people they're going to give me are people who do this as professional research participants. Out of that group, how do I get the best of that group? Um, and it really was just about interrogating that research brief and being really, at some point, being flexible around, well, I need some people and where, am I, where do I draw the line on that? Thank you. Helpful. Enjoy your lunch. All right. Thank you, Nova. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from Design Research 2018. For more presentations from this and other conferences, please visit uxaustralia.com.au.